You are listening to Bar Crawl Radio's series of podcasts, Poetry, What Is It Good For?, in which we have conversations with important poets of our time. You've just heard a rendition of America the Beautiful, played by the students of the Curtis Institute of Music, as a tribute to the emergency workers in the fight against the ravages of COVID-19. This episode is the second part of a conversation we started in Barcrow Radio number 92. We're talking with three poets for peace. Chris Brandt is a poet and translator who teaches writing and literature in New York City colleges and is a member of Witness Against Torture. Veronica Golos joins us from Taos, New Mexico. She is the co-winner of the 16th annual Nicholas Rorich Poetry Prize for her book, A Bell Buried Deep, and we will hear her read the title poem from that book later in this program. And Angelo Verga is a professor and has been known as the Poet Laureate of Cornelia Street when he owned and ran the Cornelia Street Cafe. These three dubbed themselves, some years ago, the Three Poets for Peace. That was back at the time when the U.S. administration decided to attack Afghanistan and then Iraq after the 9-11 terrorist attack, a decision that has reshaped our world. Hi, Veronica. How are you doing? How are you doing, Veronica? Oh, that's bad. I okay. love your haircut. You know, I'm cutting it myself because can't go to. I know, but the stuff. fact that you it's so short and you and you look so beautiful and I'm I would love to go to a short haircut like that. I would imagine that it's pretty easy. It's f- like freeing in a way. Well, you know, you have to keep doing it. Yeah. You know, oh, you have to done. keep. Yeah, that's true. And also, that's true. I mean, between us, if a little bit is off, it's off. Oh, right, right. So, this is all wet and I have conditioner in it. So it, because usually in the morning it's sticking up. Okay. Okay. All. Got you. Got you. Got you. I'm sure you all wanted to know all about Well, I do. That's what I want to know. We're talking about gender. Well, here we are. Yeah, exactly. Hair's <laughs> a big deal. In fact, today's interview is called the Harry interview. <laughs> do you have a Harry poem? <laughs> I don't. Yeah. Nothing about hair. No. Yeah. Okay. There he is. There, there, there you is. are. There we go. You're here. Yeah, you right. made it. Okay. All right. I turned off my phone, so I'm not in stereo. Hey, guys. Hey. Hello. Hey. You look really good, Chris. Really uh, look thank good. you. Thank you. He looks like Robert Bly. Actually, his daughter is one of my colleagues at Fordham. Really? Yeah. Wow. She's the head of the teaching, English department. Are you teaching still through Zoom? At, oh, at God, yes. I'm sure you can hear it, that these three people, these three poets for peace, they really liked each other and enjoyed getting together. But we were doing this podcast to talk about poetry, right? So we focused the conversation on the idea of the gendered voice of the poet. Veronica, you have written, I have the female voice. That is, poems clearly in the voice of a woman to be perceived as universal as well as particular. Can we talk about that? Well, you know, this is a broader question than it used to be when we were coming up (laughs) as young poets. Um, So we'll acknowledge that people feel that gender is a curve and that um, you can be... Uh, 
physically one gender and feel that you're another gender. So we'll, we'll say that that's um, an experience that people are bringing forward into poetry instead. My experience is, you know, very much female born female woman. And th those experiences I feel are always tied into the experiences of men that we find this common ground of human and then we see that our physical experience, you know, just putting aside the larger questions, our physical experiences were very different growing up, male, female, very, very different. And that physical experience, in my perception, um, creates a perception a way of being in the world, at least in the West, um, that um, is different, but not less than. And I think that um, it comes out in poetry and it comes out. I don't think that women, I love women and I am a womanist. That's, that's how I define myself, like a womanist. So that includes African-American women and women of color and internationally women. That's when I think of it. And I don't feel that in my book, I, uh, in girl or in any of them that I'm speaking for all women, right? I'm, but it is a woman voice, one woman's voice as a woman speaking that this could be the human voice as we grew up reading male voices that were, we were told was the human voice. Does that make sense? No, yes. no. the male yeah. is norm. Uh, Angelo, commentary, comment. Uh, my, or a poem or whatever. I mean, I, I can do all of the above. Uh, look, I, I've been married three times. I have two daughters. I have four granddaughters. <laughs> I, I have many, uh, many friends of various genders, uh, <laughs> trans folks. You've experienced the female voice. Uh, yeah, and I, and I know nothing about, about women. I know absolutely nothing about women. I don't women. believe that. No, no, this, it's, this is true. I mean, it's, when I write about women, it's an educated or an uneducated <laughs> guess. Uh, but sometimes... I've had the experience that women say, wow, you got it right. And um, that's nice. And I think that's just a question of, of listening. Yes. If, if you, if, if you uh, listen to anyone, if you're a poet, you know, if you're that kind of person that, that you process things that you hear about and, and, and make them internal, you can channel them. I mean, Keats okay. talked about this. You know, he he was a nightingale. He was he was whatever he saw, right? Uh, I think that poets, particularly, are whatever they hear. I mean, I remember uh, first reading Audre Lorde and being totally knocked out that. Uh, supposedly, this was someone that I wasn't supposed to be able to relate to, and yet I could very easily, 
because she was a really good writer and made me respond emotionally to what she was talking about. You know, and I can read a poem if you if if you'll yeah read one. Please do. It's it's time time for a poem. Can I read something that's slightly erotic? Is that okay? I mean, I I, I actually prefer it. Oh, good. Okay, because uh, occasionally eros appears in my poems. I don't know why. Uh, making love to a professional woman. While I'm inside her and her legs are up over our hectic heads, there's a thought balloon with super ample text above her queen-sized bed. Next appointment, 10 a.m., bring data. Also, hot chocolate. Move hips to the right. Have someone service the Lexus. Have to return Susan's voice message, check tweets, get nails done. I change my angle of entry and push a bit harder. She quivers, she breathes deeply, pushes her tongue against her perfect teeth. Call the IRS, have blood work read, check with Oslo about severance. Go wireless and see if the trustee board has met. Get drop dead spikes dyed, suit pants hems mended, cancel lunch with David. Sometimes I hold her attention at length in my hard, coarse hands, and then it slips away again, like a light pine Scandinavian wardrobe taken by a Southern California landslide. Uh, in in that poem, I'm trying to uh, walk between these two characters and give them both uh, respect. Um, now you know, I mean, I I am a man, so you know, I probably some favoritism sneaks in. But I've had women tell me that they do think about other things besides what they happen to be doing. The laundry. The launch, the launch. Right. You know what? What struck me so much about it is that the complexity of what you are seeing, she is thinking about or has written above her bed or in her head, because it goes from everything from something really big like calling Geneva or something to you know, hemming the pants. And this is so true. And it, it, it is a poem for me about the man looking at the woman and diminishing himself in a certain kind of way, right? It's not all about like, look how I'm doing her and, and all of that, but, but um, that her you know, that her life is complex, whether he's there or whether he's not there. And, um, and I think it's, I think it's, uh, and it's humorous, you know, you're wonderful always, yourself, humor and, and, you know, regard for the self. Um, well, that's what I think about it. I mean, it is true 
in some ways that women as a whole, I guess, have been trained, women my age, let's say, have been trained to take care of everything from the minutia to the large, right? That that's something they have to think about. Did I, did I wash the tub out, you know? Um, are the towels out to dry? I mean, everything, and I'm not sure the young women now, they, they would think that same kind of thing, but I know that uh, that poem resounds with me. <laughs> it certainly resounds with this male here, Chris. Any? Well, actually, I've got a poem here that kind of speaks to the same kind of thing. Interesting. Only in a very different way. In 1987, when I was in Nicaragua for the second time, I met a young woman who was a nurse in a field hospital in the north while they were under attack by Reagan's um, freedom fighters. And this is a poem called, just her name, Marta. And it's in both our voices. And this is, I was trying to channel her, and I don't know whether I managed it or not, but I haven't even thought about this poem in 20 years, uh, but here it is. Marta, thank God I love no one. If someone loves me, he's wasting his time. You're a fool if you think your love loves you. While you're away, she'll take what she can. A fuck is not a promise, you know. Up in the hospital, her hands are a blessing. The way she wipes the boy's sweaty faces recalls that life is rude and quick and takes them off of pity's hook. She smiles at one and changes his dressing, knowing it won't help much. Here, you only get the gravest cases. The lighter stuff can walk back to the war. But even here, with a leg shot off or death whispering through a cough, I'm here. They still get hard, long for her hips her soft talk, her body song. Down in the big town at the reggae ranch, she gyrates to everyone's eye on her R&R, &R, and from eye to flesh is not so far. Rise, rise, all over the room, damp, tumescent love, jump up. If you're the one she takes to dance, saying just, I like you, come. She offers joys, she kisses, rubs, she laughs and turns, and every place she touches burns. Oh yes, you'll want her, just like all the boys. Outside, to cool her body down, she spreads a blue bantana on the ground. Her brand new jeans must not get dirty. They fit exactly. They cost the pay of 60 days. And her sharp pressed blouse costs 30, and there's not a sweat stain on its perfect white. She flicks a cinder from a sneaker, spotless, new, and they'll stay that way for what they took her. Yet all of that is nothing to the cost incurred for the shell she's grown, stone around the bird. Hell, why should I care? I'm so tired of watching death. I've come to town to shake it up. I don't want a deep experience, just a fuck. I'm 21. She was, she was one of the most tragic people I've ever met. And she was 21 years old, and she had seen more death than I ever will in my whole life. And that's when she comes of age, in that, in that world. Yeah. 
It's horrible. With a shell around it, a shell around the bird. She had to have it. I mean, I. it seems so clear to me we've heard the male voice. The, and I, so well, how do we define it, the though? The gaze. The gaze I mean, of the man. And it's not just, it's just not the fuck and the sex and the attraction of the woman and the hard-ons and all that. It's, there's something there that's very male. And I don't think, Veronica, you, you may not approach it that way. I don't know if you've tro- approached. I think, I think what, what's male is me in that poem because. Yeah, well, yeah. But see, I, I don't know that there's anything wrong with that. Or no, whatever. I, I mean, I think the, I don't think we're suggesting that. What we no, invite. Right. No, I'm just saying that what what I think we learn as women, and you know, when women started writing again, which was really in the '60s, yeah. right? I mean, we're talking about 40 years here. You know um, that that's not the only voice that 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 canon needed to be changed and modified and opened up not only to women women of all nationalities but also all all kinds of people all different people so we were a little hamstrung you know i think in the beginning but um i look for I look for that emotion. I look for that that self telling a truth. That's what I look for. Can I have and a, it can be a male. Can I make a suggestion about the I don't know if this is what you meant. It's an interpretation. It's what I'm hearing. But typically a woman is considered soft, emotional, um, teasing, you know, um, very sensual. But here is a woman that was hard. She was acting like a man. I, I think that that's exactly what's interesting about that poem, uh, is that she gets to pick who she wants to dance with, and she confers the blessing of I like you, which apparently elevates the status of the male who is picked. And also um, that her, she turns and her touch burns. I'm, I'm butchering your line, no. but I got, I, got, I got the rhyme, but I didn't get the line. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's turns and burns. Yes. She, she kisses, rubs, she laughs and turns and every place she touches burns. She has great power in this poem. She was, uh, she was much more than, than typically she, women have in men's poems. Well, when she grabbed me and really hauled me out onto the dance floor, I mean, I felt like, I don't know what, you know, it was great. Yeah. <laughs> you were chosen. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to Becky's point about, and this is said so much of the time, and now with women on the battlefield, you know, which I don't think is a step up, frankly, um, in any way, that they're acting like men. And I think that the definition of how women are to behave, I think if you go back to Homer, like just taking the Western canon, women are 
out there chopping off heads and and you know killing their husbands and all kinds of things. I don't I I don't think that when women take a gun or or in the poem that they're acting like men. They are in a situation that men have been in a lot, but um, they're just, you know, they're doing what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's um, on the one hand, yes, men have been the ones to war, but the way that women have been in war is a whole other experience. There's, there's this wonderful, um, prose uh, fiction writer, his name is Kanan, K-A-N-A-N, and he writes about post-Germany in the Second World War, and it's all about these women and what they're doing to survive this war. And I, I don't know, like I, in my experience, and I think partly what girl is about, is that women can be as can be everything, can be as worse, as great, as brilliant, as stupid as anything. If we want equality, we're equal in all aspects. Well, that's, that's great because what that does also is it gives us men permission to be emotional and confused and crazy and hysterical and all those other things as well. Because that's the woman's domain. Yeah. But, but it, of course isn't. it isn't. I mean, right, it exactly. Isn't. A traditional view. can tell you, I get hysterical sometimes. Right. It's where actually I think women have been placed, not necessarily who they are. It's where men have been placed too. Right. Yeah, yeah. No. Yes, absolutely. That's true. That's true. Right. And it's but great. there's advantages. I mean, then we go into all of that. There's advantages. And I think still there is an advantage, not that anybody's asked for it, but there's certainly an advantage to being a male, to being a white male. Oh, I mean, oh yeah. there is. It's yeah. sort of a burden of how you negotiate that and how do you write about that. Yeah. Um, how do you become a human or if you're a white you, male? Exactly. Exa that's my, how do you become the human? And that's what I feel... That's what I'm trying for yeah. in my books. I might be doing it through a woman's voice, or it seems like it's a woman's voice, but what is it? Why are we the way we are? Both uh, men and women. And how are we? <laughs> All right, we, we need to hear from Veronica. I have a um, yeah. you voicing oh. one of your poems, A Bell Buried Deep by Veronica Golos. And is it all right if I contrast that or compare it to uh, Martine Espada's The Bell That Heals the World. So I thought maybe we can listen to Martine's first, it's about two minutes, and then we'll follow it up directly with Veronica's. And I'm, what do we hear? What, what do we hear? Maybe, maybe it's the wrong comparison, but let's, let's see no, what's no, going on. Heal the cracks in the bell of the world for the community of Newtown, Connecticut, where 20 students and six educators lost their lives to a gunman at Sandy Hook Elementary School December 14th, 2012. Now, the bells speak with their tongues of bronze. Now, the bells open their mouths of bronze to say, listen to the bells a world away. 
Listen to the bell in the ruins of a city where children gathered copper shells like beach glass and the copper boiled in the foundry and the bell born in the foundry says, I was born of bullets, but now I sing of a world where bullets melt into bells. Listen to the bell in a city where cannons from the armies of the Great War sank into molten metal, bubbling like a vat of chocolate, and the many mouths that once spoke the tongue of smoke form the one mouth of a bell that says, I was born of cannons, but now I sing of a world where cannons melt into bells. Listen to the bells in a town with a flagpole on Main Street. A rooster weather vane keeping watch atop the meeting house. The congregation gathering to sing in times of great silence. Here, the bells rock their heads of bronze as if to say, Melt the bullets into bells, melt the bullets into bells. Here, the bells raise their heavy heads as if to say, Melt the cannons into bells, melt the cannons into bells. Here, the bells sing of a world where weapons crumble deep in the earth and no one remembers where they were buried. Now, the bells pass the word at midnight in the ancient language of bronze, from bell to bell, like ships smuggling news of liberation from island to island, the song rippling through the clouds. Now, the bells chime like the muscle beating in every chest, Heal the cracks in the bell of every face listening to the bells. The chimes heal the cracks in the bell of the moon. The chimes heal the cracks in the bell of the world. Feasting on the aftertaste, I weaken first. Rise, stand at the window, my pale skin flushed in the North Carolina light. The old wood planks moan, the white bedspread ripples like new snow. Our white sheets are the color of white beneath white, and you, your brown skin against the sheet, are marriage the color of syrup. I lift my eyes and am chastened by the angry heartbreak this world can bring. The treetops are tender green, and what is the color green but everything washed clean? Even the tiny blue stone cemetery where my son remains does not rise even after this, his eleventh year. He is blue in the ground, his light blue bones, the midnight cap of his hair, his infant smell. A bell buried deep where he was in me, ringing, ringing. My God, lovemaking can redeem but does not release pain. I do not forget my periwinkle boy, my blue berry, my demon, all his names in a world pulsing with names, wild christenings in the air. As the blue-green vein of my wrist beats, the memory of him, our pale-boned boy, drives me back to our bed to touch you, his dark father, with my grief full of tongues, full with his name. That's a nice contrast. Is it? I was hoping it would be. 
I think yeah. it, they're, they're, they're not the same topic, but there's certainly a, a, a stark difference in the voice. The voice, oh yeah. I mean, well, that's Martine. I mean, Martine is way out there, dramatic. There's that shake in his voice, that vibrato, and so forth. It's, it's to me, that's a very male voice. It's a very public poem. Yeah. It was constructed consciously as a public poem, a communal poem. Veronica's poem is while it's driven by the same kind of respect for the music of sound, is completely personal and almost internal. Um, I mean, with due respect for Martine, and I realize that they have different uh, purposes, these poems. I mean, I, I know which one grabs me, and it's the second one. The second one is full of, of humanity. The first one is um, is delivering a judgment, whereas this, the, the second one is presenting the case. So is and, that the male's voice? Yeah, and, is that the yeah, female's it's, voice? It's a, it's a type of male voice. It's what we've come to understand as the male voice. I, I don't accept that it is the male voice personally, but... Yeah, uh, going back to what what Veronica said earlier, that there are all kinds of female voices. There are all kinds of male voices. I think the mistake is that we, that we break everything down into dualities. Mm. And I think, yeah, I mean, there's certain, certainly Martine is a very male guy. Uh, and so his voice is going to consistently be more on what we think of as the male end of the spectrum. Um, but uh, he's capable of writing very private personal poems too. He has a few that are like that, but most of his poems are out there. Um, and so I think maybe what we need to do is to change our thinking and to make it um, more of a continuum How than much, a, yeah. And a dichotomy. How much of this is actual, just cultural? I mean, Veronica, you were you were talking about the physical differences between the genders and how we feel the world differently. I guess physically, because of we are, we don't have we have different kinds of bodies. And tell me if I'm wrong here. But how much of this male female voice is just a cultural thing? Is just something that we've learned to to talk this way. I mean, we kind of this is a theme that we've started to talk about. Um, is that, you know, I could be female, uh, but I've been taught to be male, you know, from, a, from the first, you know, point of my life. I was given a Lone Ranger toy and not a, you know, a Betty Boop toy or whatever. So how much is cultural? I mean, is, is, is that a fair question? I think it's a, an important question. I mean, I think, you know, what, what Martine does, it's, it's wonderful. It's all part of you know, the poetry spectrum, you could say. The thing that is cultural, I think, is that that is seen as the standard, whereas a private or a more private poem, because it's by a woman or the way that a woman experiences things, hasn't been seen that way as, as that. I think that's changed 
a great deal. Jericho Brown just won the Pulitzer, and and I think that some of his work is, you know, it's just so delicate. It's it's about touch. I mean, of course, he's gay, and that so that enters into it. What um, for me, what Angelo said for me, if I was listening, not just because it's my poem. I would relate more to a softer voice, the the saying of the poem in a softer way, and also um, that that it is internal. That that that's where I go when I read. That's where I want to go, and that I feel. Um, but I feel like um, you know both my brothers here have done poems that are are big like that, you know, and that can be, can be done about that and need to be done about that. Um, and especially if it's about a war. Or, or, or As something. you're speaking, I'm thinking of Adrian Rich's poem, The Ballad of the Poverties. That's a public poem and, and it's a sledgehammer of a poem. Yeah. I, I, would, I would love to hear Mar Martine read Veronica's poem. Martine's poem and see what what the reaction would be in an audience that you know has has no skin in the game. We had uh, Martine and um, and Lauren um, the, the the couple they're they're married and we had them each read the other's poem and it was a very interesting thing on I think Barcore Radio number ninety two and it was they said it was the first time they actually got together as a, as a married couple to talk about their poetry. In many ways, Lauren's poetry has that, I don't know, like, like Veronica's, it's like down on the ground, it's in your skin, it's very personal, very powerful. Well, you know, I, I, just in my head, what I've been thinking about in terms of, and especially in relation to all the new stuff on gender, is that for me, just for me, the experience of being a woman, the experience of, is so bodily. We become women in our bodies, not by what we do, but that the body itself changes. We develop breasts, we develop hair, we get our period, God knows, for 40 fucking years, you know, and the possibility of children and the worry about the possibility of children and having the children and then the menopause. So much of our life is determined by our physicality. Whereas for men, I feel that so much of it that I perceive is what they do, how they are in the world, right? In Judaism, you're 13 and you get a bar mitzvah. There's a recognition in, in um, the Pueblo here. You become 13, you go to the men if you're a boy. And they have, um, um, you know, religious or, or spiritual um, kinds of things. So I think that for me, and I, and I don't think it's, that true for a lot of people who are sort of in the middle in, of the gender. But for me, that experience is what I consider when I write, 
when I move into the world as a woman. The question of rape. It's, it's whether you've ever been raped, the possibility of it is always there. You dream about it. It's a different experience. Not better. It doesn't make us better human beings. God knows I know that. We read girl and you'll see that. <laughs> but it makes us have perceptions that are based consciously or unconsciously on that transformation. We transform. We're, we're morphed into different bodies as we go along. Now, certainly men are too. I mean, you get the white hair and you get whatever and things happen. You know that. You know, but... Um, Angelo, do you want to say something about that? Yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, James Joyce uh, said that paternity was a legal fiction. He said everyone knows who their mother is. But a father has to be designated <laughs> on a piece of paper. <laughs> birth certificate, usually. Similarly, being male is is a biological thing. You have this, this uh, sex organ that makes you male. Being masculine is a social construct. Right. Completely. John Wayne. It may have to do yeah. with the length of well, your that, hair. That's one. That's one. But uh, there were many. Uh, De Niro in Taxi Driver runs a, quite a range of, of masculinity from boyish naivete to complete violence. And it is in relation to the characters that he encounters in the course of the movie. If poetry has a contribution to make, and I think it does in, in this area, it's, it's reinforcing and, and making visceral that gender, gender is a role as well as a physical, Experience. Uh, physical properties. And that women uh, more easily become women in that it is primarily a physical process. And for men, it's a big freaking deal because you've got uh, uh, guys who are becoming men their entire life because they never quite get there. They haven't bought the house. They haven't fathered children. They haven't meet, met various uh, uh social criteria for being a man. And um, I mean, I think poetry both exposes that and exemplifies it and makes it human uh, so that. And goes beyond it. Yeah. I and mean, poetry can go beyond it. ultimately, there's something that keeps pulling us together as human beings. And, and we don't really understand that that well. I know I don't. But I like thinking about it, and I certainly like experiencing it in poems. Okay, so can you, as a man and as a woman poet, can you escape your gender? Well, you can escape to. being a <laughs> shithead. You can escape being, you know, whatever. I mean, 
you can escape. Why would you want to? I mean, gender isn't bad. We're just allowing that there's more forms of it. But why would I want to escape it? I, I, yeah, I, yeah. Anyway, maybe, maybe you couldn't anyway, except your imagination. I think it was very interesting what, what Angelo said is that the father is not a, is, is not a fact. Um, it's, it, but, but Marxism, you know, going back to the origins of the family, private property and the, I mean, well, there's all there. There's all that. Angelo. Marriage was invented to establish paternity. It's about property and ownership and And property. But I'm I'm not happy without property. Okay, all that, all that, all that's true. But I mean, the the father becomes the father out of. um, I know it's different being a father than being a mother. It seems to me. I mean, the mother is a given. Mother is a given. It's like you're the mother. You've had this thing in your in your body, and it's come out, and there's a connection. The father has to be created. The father has to become a truth. Has to become this thing that's connected. It's, it is the difference, but one isn't better than. No, the I'm other. not saying yes, it is. They're different, that... right? And some some paternal fathers never actually become fathers, while some who are not paternal actually become fathers. So fathering is more a truth than a fact. Well, it's like male, what is maleness? It's like what, you know, it's, it's what I come back to. It's what you do. It's what the male does. Are you going to be a father or not? Yeah. Right. You get pregnant. You're, you know, you can, you can look around, you can, but whatever. And it's happening. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it's what you do after that child is born. That makes you a mother or not. I mean, I've been a stepmother, and that's a whole different experience. And I've been co-mother, which is a whole other experience about sisterhood and what that uh, what that can mean. And so I've had to look. Bell Buried Deep is all about that book is all about motherhood and who's the mother. My periwinkle boy. If you all have maybe one other thing you'd like to share, I would love to hear it. Could be anything that you'd like to read for us. Would you mind a not a really long poem, but a semi-long poem? It's the first poem in Girl, and I want to read it because of a comment that somebody who interviewed me made about the about the poem. Is that okay? No, no, no. Let's do it. Let's do it. Can you tell us what the comment was or not? Or later? I will after. Okay. Okay. It's called Rouged Woman Prophecy. So it's the ancient Red Riding Hood as an elder. What I know is more than thorn and thistle whistling through the oak forest trees large as barns. What I know is wolf, and that cannot be reckoned, for I have been inside him and have seen through his gold eyes and smelled the world. This was the choice, to be taken whole as I was then, or to be eaten bit by bit. By whom? 
you ask, by all of you, my dear. Of what did I dream? At night, I ran a familiar path. The stars smelled bitter. I spoke only as human, resisting the God's long throat cry. Each wolf has a girl inside. What was it like? His eyes, his scent, fur, teeth, a tunnel, his slow lope. Sometimes we grew too large and were released to become a ballerina on point in red shoes or a Charleston shaker, cake or tightrope walker, always hunting for the moment when lifted into leap, we were undone. I rub myself with smells, poppy, wheat, the stalks of contained fields, nothing. I smeared myself with offal of the pack, but I could not bring him back. That fable you've read, I can tell you this. I was the girl, that much is true. Not innocent, but virgin. We make too much of innocence. Many times I walked in that forest, humming, talking to myself, singing in a low tone, calling, I realize now. And all those years outside, I saw distance, felt the damp between my thighs. There was little I didn't do, the short needle, the long affair, an intimate drunk. I beat against the world, trying to break back in. You see, they thought they'd saved me, wrapped me in a white gown, fed me clear broth. I am tired, but here is an old woman's secret. You think to kill the wolf. You draw your fear through you like an arrow to the heart. I know what I know. The world will burn black. The mountains will roll their snows down upon your cities. And the two-legged, thumbed speaker will feed the earth and will be gone. And the world will be silent for an eon. Then the wolf will raise one word, and that word shall be girl, and we shall be inside him again, hold. Now, what, what was the, so, critic, uh, what was the critical uh, comment that um, you remember so, so much and why? As I remember it, um, he was saying that that the 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 wolf as a male and the girl are are merged in the poem. That's how he he saw it. That he and so he was asking about uh, gender fluidity is how he put it. And I said, well, I you know it was a written interview, and I said, well, the poem isn't about that, but I do think that it's. Um, it is a blending that she's inside him, that each wolf, and then the play on wolf, you know, um, 
that the 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 man that can't be trusted and yet here is the actual wolf steadfast and her her experience of being inside i don't know but um that's why I wanted to read it. I don't know if if that was like his sort. He was a young. He's very young, and he just got his MFA, so he's he was full of theory. Those kind of things, you know. <laughs> he was full of theory, and not full of feelings. I I was um, thinking back on Martine's poem a little bit, especially towards the end of this, because your poem reaches a biblical, kind of an Old Testament kind of place. Martine's reaches a biblical too, but in a very kind of like shouting from the mountaintop kind of thing. Um, yours is kind of um, the the Old Testament of time, um, and and the rolling over of ideas and the return of ideas. And I don't know. I've I, I, I tell us the name of that poem again. Rouged woman. Rouged woman, R O U G E D. Instead of Red Riding Hood, Rouged woman. I, I, it, um, you know, poems they they enter you in different <laughs> layers, in different different places. It hits you. I mean, and you know, uh, there's so much there that I want to revisit. Oh yeah, I want that book. As soon Rouged as you get out, I want that book. Veronica, right. it's been so great. Send me your address. I'll send it to you. Um, okay. <laughs> Chris, Angelo, would you like to read one more? This one is kind of short, and it is called A Woman I Know. I'd rather not eat than eat alone. Even my mother doesn't know how hard it is for me to live her life. Yes, I shop, but I don't try anything on. I can't open the electric bill this week. All my female friends are married. They never have time to do anything with me. She dreams of giving birth to a baby. No, numerous babies. Their names, Miriam, Rahel, Joseph, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, and Leah. She dreams a dream man, a kind man, who gives her an overflow of happiness. The, Bi the Bible showed up again. Veronica. Yeah, the Bi Bible and sex. The Bible I mean, it's been the theme. No, but you got it, Angelo. You got it, really. Yeah, there's some listening, some deep listening, taking it in, not refuting it, not not uh, refining it. Really, really got it. I mean, I think that that's what it means to be human: to respect the things that we don't understand about other people, and to allow them to be in those places. And not to judge them. Yeah. I mean, that, that oracular thing, I can get there. You know, I have poems that, like, you know, proscribe behavior. Um, but they're not my better poems. I teach um, persona poem. 
you know, as a class. And part of the reason I love to do persona poems and I love to teach them is because I think that in addition to what Angelo and Chris are saying about what poetry should be is this empathy. It's like, how do you get inside a wolf? How do you get inside a woman? How do you get inside a firecracker? I mean, you know, it's the possibility in being an artist of any kind, but especially a poet, of doing that, of, of developing that muscle of compassion and empathy. And, and that's the thing I love about teaching and, 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 and writing um, persona poems. Yeah. Because, I mean, it doesn't have to be persona, but, but that's another thing. And I think you've accomplished that, both of you. Please well, define persona. Persona poem. What is a persona poem? We're speaking in the voice of someone else. It's, it's like uh, Robert Browning, you know, My Last Duchess. You know, it's the it's a it's a poem in which you take on the voice and the and the experience of a, a, a character who's not who's not you. Right, right, right. Like I'm I'm talking in the voice there in that poem of an old uh, Little Red Riding Hood yeah. whose story everybody thinks they know. Right. And what right. you're able to do right. with persona is to say, you know, maybe it's not like that. Yeah. Maybe what you were seeing and who you were trying to kill wasn't who I wanted you to kill. And maybe you thought you saved me and you weren't saving me. I wanted to be there. Yeah. And and there, there's tons of different um, things in, in Bell. I do it in the voice of Sarah and Hagar from the biblical story in Abraham. Chris, do you have uh, something for us? We got a little time left. Uh, you know what? It's it, I have a thing called editing, and I could, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm loving all of this, so I, I, I need a full circle. I need to go around all the bases here. Well, this is, this is a, 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 a war poem, an anti-war poem, that I think of actually, have never thought of it this way before, but I think of this as a woman, the poem itself as a woman. Um, and it's, it's called Mission. And it's like, it goes like this. This poem's job is to stop war. There, go and do it, little poem. And now that it's gone, dear reader, heading for hot spots and capitals around the world, we can agree I have given the poem an impossible job. Ridiculous. A poem? All the world's poems stop war? Which of the old men who manage wars will listen? Which of the young men dying to be heroes will listen? How many among the cannon fodder listening will have the courage to refuse? We know hardly any. Still go, little poem, barely audible among the guns and bombs, like a gnat, whisper into the ears of generals, nuzzle the napes of secretaries of state, signal spies, tickle security advisors, itch at presidents and ministers, ask them to remember maybe the one time in their lives 
they loved another human being before they knew what side, what other, what line, only saw and heard and loved. Ask them to think for once in their lives beyond their prophets and their penises to the dear heart of life. Call all the other poems, have them come as bees, one for each bonnet, to remind them that their last war failed in all but puny ways, that even for the winners there are losses no victory can hide, that no conqueror great war waged parading victorious beneath monuments to his triumph thereafter ever lasted long that no act of war in all our long and bloody past has ever led to peace. Ask them, little poem, if they know what peace is. Oh, God, ah. God bless the little poem. That's, that's in Three Poets for Peace, isn't it? Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah. That's the that's second the time book, I've heard you read it. That's the book that we did together, yep. the three yep. of us. Um, Becky and I want to thank you three so very much for joining us twice for uh, Poetry, What Is It Good For? I think we're answering that question, Poetry, What Is It Good For? Yeah, um, week by week. <laughs> week by week, we're answering it. Is There's different answers, but it's all, it's all the same answer in a way. Um, it's a way to make us human, finally, maybe. Get, and get truth. And get, and, and get, get to the truth, right. Uh, Veronica Golos, Angelo Verga, and Chris Brandt, thank you so much for sharing with us over these two programs. We, we have been oh, honored and blessed. I love you guys so much. We, yeah, we got to we gotta figure out something. Like, uh, I don't know, like a, a, a thing sharing poems or something. So nice to meet you, Alan and Becky. Really, nice to meet you as well. Really, thank you so much. And the you next have time we're a real ear and a, and and such a um, an inspiration, you know, to keep us talking and stuff. It's really, really, really. Good. I, it it, it was really not a bunch do. of a problem. It was like we had to stay out of your way. I think more than anything, you poets are just amazing. If we only had a poet as president, <laughs> a woman poet as president. This is Bar Crow Radio, and we have been talking with three poets for peace. We want to thank Angelo Verga and Veronica Golos for joining us today, and of course, Chris Brandt, who helps produce these series of episodes. Poetry, what is it good for? I wanted to add that the thing that I feel that is important about poetry is that while I don't believe in a god, I somehow believe that these brave poets speak to us in a godly way. They teach us. They teach us to go in a, in a good direction. I'll ditto that. Though I don't know if I believe in God or not. It's an open question in my mind. This has been the fifth in the BCR series, Poetry, What is Good For? Co-produced by Chris Brandt. If you've been enjoying our podcast, please let us know by emailing us at barcrowradio at gmail.com. <laughs>